Amen. We are in the gospel of the kingdom, also called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calls it the gospel of the kingdom, so that's what I call it. And we are now crescendoing towards the end of chapter five. I want to begin this message by a quote, read it to you, and then talk to you about the man who made this quote. Quote, God built me for this job. I think God will bless me to get the machine done, to drive it, to do the stuff I have to do. God blessed me in advance for the task I'm about to undertake. It is my duty. God has asked me to do this. It's a cross that I'm going to carry, and I'm carrying it in God's name. Marvin John Haymeyer. Anyone know who that is? He built something that he called the killdozer. What's the killdozer? That's the killdozer right there. Maybe you recognize that. Because what John, what Marvin Haymeyer did was this. He took his killdozer, and because he was angry on the 4th of June, 2004, he began a rampage through a little Colorado town and destroyed 13 buildings. He was angry with people like the mayor, with government employees because of some zoning laws, a neighbor who built something that he didn't like, a bank, police, a hardware store, and he just rampaged. So what he did. In 2004 dollars, he did $8 million worth of damage with his killdozer. Got stuck in a hardware store, pulled out a gun, and killed himself. Now, do you think that was God's plan for Marvin John Haymeyer? People that knew him, you can, there's all kinds of documentaries on him. People that knew him said he was a good guy, good at what he did, successful businessman, like really good. But they said he had three things that you had to look out for. Number one, he had a temper. Number two, he would nurse grudges. And number three, he'd be offended easily. That's an unholy trinity. And that unholy trinity was allowed to kind of flourish in his heart and it truncated this life that should be lived to this day. That evil used zoning laws and neighbors to grow death and destruction in Marvin. It's sad. Here's what's scary. I see those same exact seeds in my heart. I could be Marvin John Haymeyer. I think about this road down here last year. If you came to church last year, you knew this. We had a blocked road here and we couldn't use it. So we had the only traffic jams in Grants Pass every Sunday, right? Doctors that were on call couldn't attend church because they couldn't make it from here, the five minute trip to the hospital. They couldn't make that five minute trip in 30 minutes. That's how backed up it was. I couldn't understand it. I talked to government people. I you know, kept going. And it was just, it, it made no sense to me. It just made me angry. It's God's grace that I did not have a bulldozer. <laughs> or we would have had episode two, right? <laughs> you gotta be careful. 
There's all these seeds and they're always floating around and they're looking for the heart that they can get into and weave in this bitterness and this anger and this destruction and pretty soon it's killdozer. Be careful. I could be Marvin, John, Amire. So we're in the gospel of the kingdom right now. And Jesus is talking about everything that matters. You read the Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters, and you just say, what didn't he cover? Everything that matters is right here. And what Jesus is saying is, there is a brilliant new way of living life. Not fight or flight, not fear, not vengeance and bitterness and anger, not power and might. There's a brand new way to live. And so we're in this section where Jesus is actually taking these six statements of, you've heard it said of old, this is the way nature rules. But I say to you, this is the way the kingdom is. And we're at the sixth and final one of these statements. And it's the capstone. It's what he has been driving at. It's where he's been heading for. It's brilliant. So here's the last of the six. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is Jesus begins by saying, you've heard it said of old, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is the normal way that people do life, right? You love your buddies, you love your spouse, you love your kids, you love people that are kind to you, right? You love your neighbors. And then you hate people that gossip about you or lie about you or use you or treat you in some kind of way that you don't like. This is the normal way of life is how people live. But is it biblical? Is there a verse in the Bible that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Is there a Bible verse like that? Well, we got the love your neighbor Bible verse. It's Leviticus 19. It says this, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we've got that side, right? Where's the hate your enemy side? Well, there isn't one like that. It's what I call derived theology. 
Look out for derived theology, where people take kind of these crazy little verses and they try to put it together and they then assume a theology. I think God is a really good communicator and he communicated exactly what he wants to communicate in the Bible. Look out for derived theology, right? It's almost like, well, of course, if you love your neighbor, you gotta hate somebody, like mac and cheese. Where's the cheese? Well, it's hate your enemy. So we'll just say that. So when they have this statement, and this was the statement that ruled Israel at this time, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. What passages of scripture were they ignoring? I'll give you one. They were ignoring Exodus 23, verses four and five. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. That's what they're ignoring. I'll give you a good key when someone is teaching the Bible like me. Whenever we quote some kind of verse somewhere, go read it for yourself. Read the Verses above it and read the verses below it to get it in context because it's very easy to do derived theology. And that's what had happened to these guys. So Jesus is just saying, hey, let's be frank about this. This is the way that everybody does life. We love our neighbors and hate our enemies. Well, who's my neighbor? Jesus gets asked that question. Who's your neighbor? It could be somebody that's in proximity to you, no doubt. But I think when you think about neighbor, it's much bigger than that. It's more like people that are like you. They share the same faith as you. They have the same lifestyle as you, the same worldview as you, the same politics as you, right? That's who it is. Good people like me. That's my neighbor. Then who are our enemies? I think there's very few of us that have someone that's after us, like with a loaded gun and wants to shoot us. Now, if that is you, hey, please talk to Chad afterwards. He'll take care of you. <laughs> right? So who are our enemies today? Not people that are coming after us to kill us. Our enemies are people that are not like us, not our neighbors, people that different in some kind of way that doesn't make us comfortable, that makes us uncomfortable, that makes us worried or fearful or hateful, right? It's not good people. Maybe they differ somehow ideologically. Maybe they see the world through different lenses than you do, right? Like politics. Maybe they see politics, they voted for that guy. How could you vote for that guy? And so they become our enemy. Or maybe it's a moral thing. It's their morality is so different than you. You're, I, probably most of us are pro-life. And so we believe in the, in the, preservation of life, that, that life is a gift from conception till grave, and it's to be protected. And there's people that don't like that, and so they attack us and call us whatever, bigoted or patriarchal or keep your laws off my body. So you start to kind of get angry and you start to hate them because they become your enemies, right? Maybe it's sexual perversion. Just what you see right now being mainlined in the classrooms and libraries and parades, and it just makes you be like, oh, you start to hate them. They become they become your enemies, right? That's what happens. And by the way, please know this. Media has this thing. All of media, any side, every side, media knows something. Hate is profitable. Anger 
is profitable. Fear is profitable. These companies know that. They don't care about what they're talking about. You know what they care about? Your money. And they know we'll hook you with anger and fear. We'll hook you with hatred. That's how we'll get you in. That's how we get clicks. And if you like the news, I love the news. I'm a news junkie. For a week, just write down or figure out what do you click on? What gets you? What causes you to be like, uh, what in your car when you're driving home, what caused you to stay in your car a little bit longer while you're sitting in the driveway? Because you got to hear what they're saying. What news stories are they? Is it NPRs, all things considered? Let's get all voices in on this. Is that what caused you to sit there? I doubt it. It's Joe Biden's bumblings. Yeah, he's an idiot. It's Trump's arrest. Yeah, democracy's in peril, right? That's what gets us. They know that. And so what they're going to feed us all the time is that kind of stuff. Because our default human nature is verse 43. Love your neighbors, people that are like you, and hate your enemies, people that are not like me. And it divides us up. So Jesus just says, this is how life is done. But I say to you, look at verse 44. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sunrise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus says, in the kingdom, we're going to live different. We're going to love our enemies. Now, where does Jesus get this idea from? The weather, right? Literally, he gets it from the weather. That farmer that is a liar and a scoundrel, he's a thief, he's good for nothing. The sun still comes up and grows his crops. That's where Jesus gets it from, right? Today, like today, who, who gets all the sunshine in America? California. God's grace, baby, right there. <laughs> who gets all the fog? Grants Pass. How interesting is this, right? If you look at the weather, evil places on this planet have really good weather. Like, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing, why? There's a theological word for it. It's called God's common grace. That God has this common grace that's always going out throughout the entire universe all the time. It's why the world isn't Mad Max all the time. It's why it actually fun functions pretty good. Why? Because God has this constant goodness that's coming from his throne. And this is the one I've used all the time because here's why. We, we, we experience it three times a day. Think about the food that you eat. How many flavors are there? How many different varieties are there? Is that amazing or what? That's God's grace. When you get home and you put that piece of meat on your Traeger and it's been on there for 12 hours and you sink your teeth into it and it melts in your mouth, that is God's grace. You thank Jesus for that. Or if you're on the other side, if you have that really good kale salad, <laughs> if you can thank Jesus, please do it. I mean, that's fine with me. 
God didn't have to do that. Do you know that? This is my illustration. I had a dog named Chloe, golden retriever. We got her. I didn't know what kind of food to get her. Went to the grocery store. There are 550 different choices for dog food. I'm like, oh no, what do I buy for her? I'm walking down the aisle. There was a yellow bag. It had a picture of a golden retriever running through a field looking very happy on it. I bought that dog food. For the next 11 years, I bought that same dog food for her. For 11 years, three times a day, she ate the same dog food. God could have done that to you and me. There's just in the store, man food. Has a happy dude like smiling, running through a field. You're like, that's my food right there. Man food, let's go. Three times a day, same thing for 80 years. But he didn't. Why? Because of his common grace to every single person, good or bad, just or unjust. God is good. He lavishes it upon his creation. You see it in the rivers and the oceans and the sunrises and the sunsets and the trees and the vistas and the beauty. You see it everywhere that God is not stingy with his grace. He's not stingy with it. It's not good people live in paradise and bad people live in Portland. That's not what God does. He goes, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're at across the globe, I'm gonna be given to you my grace everywhere. So Jesus says, verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? How are you different? How's that unique? Do you not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Jesus mentions two enemies here. They would be the big enemies of people that lived in Israel. The first one, a tax collector. Now, we don't like tax collectors today. We don't like the IRS. No one's like, man, I love the IRS. Give, more, give 87,000 more agents to the IRS. I love that idea, right? Because they're taking stuff. But here's the thing with the tax collectors in Jesus's day. They took your money and they gave it to Rome, the occupying force that was ruining the country. They were traitors and turncoats. They were the worst of the worst of people. Jesus mentions them, tax collectors. Number two, Gentiles. We would put it like this, pagans. These are the godless people. They have no love for God. These are the people that are just indecent public behavior, the kind of stuff that gets a million views on Twitter, right? That kind of stuff, smash and grabs, violence, sexual perversion, just all that lawlessness. These are the two enemies Jesus mentions. And he says, listen, in the kingdom, in the kingdom, you're to love those kind of people. How? How do you love them? He gives us three ways. You pray for them, you greet them, and you do good to them just like your heavenly father does. Brilliant. First, you pray for them, Jesus says. You don't pray that they get cancer or get hit by a bus or their college football team loses. That's not what you're praying. You're praying that God begins to bless them. Listen, if your heart needs to change on this, this is where the, the rubber meets the road right here. 
This is where it all begins. This is where you give God the permission to begin to break up the stoniness of your own heart that is fertile ground so that you don't become a Marvin Haymeyer. This is where it all begins. And I think some of us need to actually get out a piece of paper today and just write a list of people that we don't like. And they might be groups of people, they might be organizations, or they might be literal people that you hate. You write them out. And you covenant with God to say, you know what, for the month of September, every morning I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna pray for this group of people. I'm gonna pray for them. And at first it will, be, it will feel like you're being burned at the stake. Torture. But watch what God begins to do in your heart where all of a sudden he begins to change you and make you into the person that has a different kind of fire for them, a fire that their life gets changed and transformed, that they experience the same thing that you do. And here's your payback. Here's why Jesus is actually saying this. This releases you. That group doesn't have power over you anymore. Instead of being like all uptight because you heard some news story or all crazy because you heard some political whim, instead of that, guess what? You're set free. You're not gritted your teeth. You're not angry anymore. You're not just, oh, you're like, oh. You get out of the insanity. That's what Jesus is saying. Get out of the insanity. Pray for them. That's how you get out. That's how you stop being so hateful and vengeful and fearful and mad. That's how you do it. Number one, you pray. Number two, you greet them. You greet them. If there's someone that you hate, you've had an issue with, what is one of the hardest things in the world to do if you see them around town? Right? Like if you're in Fred Meyer or you're in Walmart and you're walking down and you're about ready to turn down the aisle and you see that person grabbing some ketchup, what is your initial thought? I'm going to go up and say hello to them. What is it? I'm going to go to the next aisle. That's what it is. I am not going down that aisle. Because it's very hard to greet people that you're angry with, that you're mad at. It triggers you. It gets you. You're just, ah. But in a way, they're still owning you, aren't they? You see their car, and it makes you angry. And you're upset for the rest of the day, and you take it out on your dog and your wife and your kids. That's a bummer. They're owning you. Jesus says you break that first by prayer where your heart softens, and then by actions, by simply greeting them. Hey, how you doing today? God bless you. That's all you have to do. It's not hard, not impossible. It's actually very easy. Hey, good to see you today. God bless you. That's all you do. You greet them. Or if you can, you take it even a step further. So there's this guy named Arthur Brooke. If you don't read Arthur Brooke, you should read Arthur Brooke. Whatever I read of his, I'm always amazed. He is brilliant. So this is what he did. And I wrote, I like, I didn't print it out, but I took a screenshot of this article, probably, well, it was 2016, because this is what Arthur Brooke was doing. He was going to these political campaigns, and it was Bernie Sanders supporters and Trump supporters, right? Just oil and water. And he would go there, and he would talk about like the most contentious kind of stuff with both of them. He'd get them together, get them in a room, and like just, you know, it's just like throwing meat to a rabid dog. So here's what would happen at first. This is what he says, quote, the Trump supporters would be like, quote, you know I love this country. I love it and you hate it. Obviously, you're unpatriotic and your values are weakening my country, end quote. The burners would be, no, I'm the one who loves this country and this people, and you're the one who hates it and is not acting in the right way. What would you call those two people? 
Enemies, right? That's enemies. Ideological, moral, political enemies. So this is what he did. He had them greet each other first. Quote, I'll bring people together who are on opposite sides of the most contentious debates of the time. Abortion, guns, immigration, whatever it happens to be. And I'll say, hey, we're going to talk about this stuff, don't worry. But in the meantime, I'd like you to tell each other about your kids and grandkids. And oh man, I mean, it's like they grew up together. You never hate somebody who's telling you about their kids and their grandkids and the problems that they're having with their teenagers. And after that, they can talk about abortion and guns and immigration and BLM and taxes and the FBI and the Supreme Court and homelessness and free needle programs and <laughs> you get the point. What's that called? Greeting. Jesus is just saying, hey, get out of yourself. Get free from this. Greet that person. Say hello to them. It's not that hard, right? Talk to them about their hopes and their dreams, their kids. It's called humanizing versus demonizing. It's real easy to demonize people, and that's human nature. The greeting is Jesus saying, hey, humanize them. Jesus took it one step further with enemies. He mentions tax collectors here. How did Jesus teach, treat tax collectors? You guys know Luke 19? Zacchaeus, a wee little man. You guys remember the song from Sunday school? I would sing it for you, but you would all leave, so I won't. Right? What happens in that? Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Someone has said this, that the gospels are Jesus having meals with all the wrong people, and it got the good people upset. Tax collectors, they were the traitors, the turncoats. Pharisees, they're the religious nut jobs. A sinful woman who's a prostitute. Zealots, they'd be the Ruby Ridge, the David Koresh's, the Doomsday Preppers, right? Jesus had meals with all the wrong people. And I always have to try to do this, like, how do you get the scandalous nature of Jesus and what he did, how do you bring that in the 21st century? Like, who would Jesus be eating with today? What kind of wrong people would he eat with today? Probably neo-Nazis. Probably the most woke, crazy crew you could possibly imagine. That's who. He'd be eating meals with those kind of people, Antifa, ISIS. Like, you'd be like, what? It'd make you mad. That's what Jesus was doing. Let's have a meal. Now, what do you do? You pray. God, break up my heart. I don't want this stuff in there. It's hurting me. I got to stop it. I got to knock it off. I'm going to pray. I'm going to act on it. I'm going to start greeting people that are my enemies. Maybe this month you just find one group or one kind of person that you're like, you know, I just had this antagonism towards that group of people. I'm going to have a meal with them. I've got antagonism toward this guy. I'm going to have coffee with him, right? Just one person this month. What if you did that, right? Don't invite them out today. That might be awkward, right? They may have heard this message. One guy will get invited out like 12 times. He's like, people hate me. They just hate me. Why does everybody hate me? I thought I was a good guy. <laughs> so wait a little bit. Break this stuff down. That's hurting you. Then lastly, Jesus says, do good stuff just like your 
Heavenly Father. Look at verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Anyone struggle with that last one? Like, I got it, good. Like, wow, this should shock you. Jesus' ask in the kingdom is massive. It's a massive ask. Pray, greet, do good, just like your heavenly father does, who gives the sun and the rain on the good and the bad. That's what he's saying. It's brilliant. And I remember examples of people doing this. You know why I remember examples of people doing this? Because they're sadly so rare. I wish this became so common that we don't remember them. Like, no one, oh yeah, that happens all the time. That's what Christians do. But it's not. It's so rare that we're like, wow, that's incredible what that person did. Well, is it supposed to be? Probably not. But they're still brilliant. Let me give you two. First one is Gordon Wilson. He is the guy that historians say he is credited with stopping the war between Northern Ireland, the IRA, and Great Britain. He's the guy that's credited with doing that. His one act, this is what happened to him. 8th of November, 1987, he is walking with his daughter through town. The IRA had planted a bomb in this building. As they're walking, the bomb goes off, the building crashes down, hits him and his daughter and kills his daughter. Right? Brutal. And then he is interviewed on the BBC, which is broadcast to all that area, and this is the interview. So I'll read the excerpt from this. In the interview with the BBC, Wilson described with anguish his last conversation with his daughter and his feelings toward her killers. Quote, she held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. She said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me. And those were the last words I ever heard her say. To the astonishment of listeners, Wilson went on to add, but I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back to life. She was a great wee lassie. She loved her profession. She was a pet. She's dead. She's in heaven and we shall meet again. And I will pray for these men tonight and every night. Historian Jonathan Bardoon recounts, quote, no words in more than 25 years of violence in Northern Ireland had such a powerful emotional impact. One man who lived what Jesus says. One man. We have one more recent one. So this one was Dylan Roof, 21-year-old. Perhaps you remember that just a number of years ago in our country walked into racially motivated mass murderer, walked into a prayer meeting at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in South Carolina. And he shot and killed nine people after sitting through a prayer meeting with them. It's unbelievable, right? You, just can't, you, you can't fathom it. Well, the daughter of shooting victim, Ethel Lance, 
when he was sentenced, went in and told Ruth this, quote, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never talk to her again. I'll never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. Have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgives you. And I forgive you too. These are brilliant moments. They're so different than the way that we live. We live, most of us, verse 43. Jesus is calling us and saying, live differently. You want to change the world? Live differently. Don't respond that way. Live differently. And it's happened. Abraham Lincoln it was, was criticized because of the way he treated the enemy. And this was Abraham's response. This is what he said, quote, do I not destroy my enemies by making them my friends? What a brilliant statement. You want fewer enemies? How about making them your friends? Martin Luther King Jr., who knew something about hatred, said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can. Yet most of us choose hate. These comments were not made in a vacuum. They were informed by what Jesus is saying right here. That's exactly where they came from. This is what I call kingdom talk. This is the expectation that Jesus has of his followers. Live differently. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Greet them. Do Jesus good works for them, right? Because ultimately, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus did for us. Do you know that? Romans 5 verse 8 says this. God shows his love for us. And while we were sinners, tax collectors, pagans, bad behavior, all that, we're the enemy. Christ died for us. Not when we were good and we had it all together when we were bad and we were his enemy. That's what he did for us. Judas Iscariot, the only one in the Bible that scripture says it would have been better if he'd never been born. The only one. And there's some bad characters in the Bible. The only one that the scripture says it would have been better if that guy did not get born. The night he is coming to betray Jesus and Jesus knows it, He's the one. He is the avenue through which torture and beating and crown of thorns and six illegal trials are coming and finally being nailed to a cross and bleeded out. He's the avenue through which it's coming. The night he's coming to betray Jesus with a kiss. He's ready to light the fuse of that destruction. Judas shows up and Jesus knows this. Guess what Jesus says to him? You miserable punk. Three and a half years I gave to you. This is how you repay me? No, Matthew 26, 50. And Jesus said unto him, friend, wherefore art thou come? Friend. Calls him friend. Listen, Jesus, today, no matter what destruction you've been doing, no matter the fuse that you've lit, guess what he says to you today? Friend. What are you seeking? He calls us his friends. Jesus is the epitome of this. He is the reason why there's not enmity anymore. He is the reason he prayed for me as his enemy and he saved me. 
And now Jesus doesn't invite himself over to our houses for dinner. He invites us to his house for dinner. He says, come have a meal with me. Friend, come have a meal with me. That is through God's love, he turned enemies into his friends. That's the gospel. And so we get to come and take communion. We get to be part of Jesus's crew, not because we're great, but because Jesus did this right here. And in communion, I think here's what you can find. You can find strength to go out and live like Jesus did. That I think there is the veil between heaven and earth grows thin in communion for me. And it's in communion that I say, Jesus, today, make your word become flesh. Make it dwell in me. Help me to go out and do exactly what you asked me to do. Give me the power of your spirit to do it. And that's what we're gonna pray today.